Osiris. Proud to be sponsored by CBD Vermont. They believe that healthy soils, strong local economies, and plant-based wellness go hand in hand. That's why they work with organic farmers across Vermont to grow the highest quality hemp and produce full-spectrum CBD extracts for wholesale. They've recently launched an online store where you can buy Vermont-made CBD products, including oils, Capsules, edibles, and topicals that have been fully vetted by the staff at CBD Vermont. As I uh, start to get into old age, have some issues with my knees, sometimes they lock up a bit. Doctor said there might be a bit of a touch of arthritis in one of them. And I uh, recently started using the the muscle rub from uh, CBD Vermont. I have to say, I've been a pretty pleased customer so far. I've got some more mobility doesn't hurt quite as much as it used to. Yes, they ship everywhere. And as huge music fans, they're offering our listeners 15% off of all products. So go to cbdvermont.com and use the code BEYONDTHEPOND at checkout to get 15% off. already know that Sirius XM brings you the deepest variety of commercial free music for every genre and for every mood. Where you hear the biggest names in talk, entertainment, and comedy, and hundreds of hand-curated music channels designed to fit every mood. Where you get news from every source. Where you can listen to the newly launched Fish Radio, in addition to Jam On, Grateful Dead Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, Tom Petty Radio, and many more. Or you can listen to top comedy channels such as Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Radio and Netflix's A Joke Radio and Sports Talk Radio from Barstool to ESPN and more to keep you up to date on the latest news in the sports world. Most people think that you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. Subscribe now to listen outside the car, on your phone, online, and at home and get your first three months for just a dollar. Visit SiriusXM.com slash BTP to see offer details and to subscribe. Start listening today. SiriusXM, no car required. Folks, I am Brian Brinkman. And I am Ben Greenfield. And you are tuned in to episode 71 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which typically Dave and myself 
utilize the music of Fish to introduce the listener to other bands, typically non-jam bands, because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. But the problem with Fish fans is, well, sometimes you're in conversations with friends. You talk a little bit about how you didn't quite like the decisions that the band had made in this show or in this part of the show. And you get just bombarded with anti-negativity, anti-critiquing patrols and police officers out there. And, uh, you know, that's just not really great for the health of the community. It's not really great for us all communicating about uh, music as reasonable and intelligent adults. And that's why we're here. And as you probably notice right now, it's a unique intro. I am introducing the show. Uh, Dave is away tonight on a family commitment. Uh, he's with family. We've got him in our hearts right now. We got him in our thoughts. And uh, we are joined by close friend of the pod, one of the esteemed minds within the fish community, Mr. Ben Greenfield. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be playing the role of resident Jew for the evening, and I will I will do everything in my power to. Uh, live up to the the very, very high standard that Dave sets every single episode. <laughs> um, so I believe we're going to be talking about the last week's worth of shows. Um, so that means four shows, two at Saratoga Performing Arts Center, commonly known as SPAC, and two at Fenway Park in what's commonly known as Boston, Massachusetts. Absolutely. And some of the themes that we are going to cover in today's episode include... We are come to be back in 2014. Again, segmented brilliance, all caps. And sports and fish. Is there a crossover? And on that note, let's get to the fish. guys thank you once again for joining us here in episode 71 so as with our previous three episodes covering summer 2019 tour we have broken this uh, last week of the tour down into six segments that we are going to approach the tour from considering uh, a few varieties of uh, the tour, a few different aspects of it. Uh, the first of which is the best opening quarter. So the best uh, opening quarter of any show that happened over this last week. Ben, what do you have as the best opening quarter of the previous week of uh, Fish? Yeah, so we agreed on this one that the best opening quarter of the last week was back night one, July 2nd. Uh, the band came out and opened with Kathy's Clown by the Ever- Everly Brothers. And then they uh, played the Tweezer reprise that they hadn't played at the previous show in Camden. Um, And then Karini, ACDC Bag, and MoMA Dance. Yeah, and, you know, coming off of Camden Night 3, which is a show that has near-unanimous approval from the fan base, the safe bet was a Tweezer reprise opener. You had 619-2010 flashbacks, lack of a Tweezer reprise, and a killer Sunday show. So what does the band do? When you think they're going to zig, they properly zag. They come out and they open up with a probably one-time cover of the Everly Brothers, Kathy's Clown, into Tweezer Reprise. You get a really brilliant set one jam in Karini. 
before getting into the 2009-2010 expected opening pair of ACC Bag and Moma Dance, which just injected energy into both songs. And, uh, you know, you just have this very killer 30-minute opening uh, segment of, of, of any fish show. I love this. Um, I had considered and we had talked about throwing the July 3rd opening quarter of Fluffhead, Gaiuti, Martian Monster, Llama, and Steam into here, but ultimately went with the energy. And uh, I should note, though, that July 3rd opening, I loved how they opened with two compositions. They bookended set one with that and uh, the newer composition of Drift While You're Sleeping um, ending that. It was, it was a really nice way to do it the next night. But... Ben, what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. Um, I liked the the July third set one, uh, especially that that opening duo. My my friend John DeResta, who was seeing his first show of the year, texted during the Fluffhead Gaiuti. Trey is playing the actual notes of the songs, which is uh, which is always <laughs> a nice thing. Um, but yeah, on on seven two, I I just love that feeling, and I think I've experienced it a few times where you go into a show like totally sure of like. something that the band has up their sleeves and then they just totally surprise you so the kathy's clown opener i i don't think there's anybody in the community who predicted that and then just when you're when you're you know throwing all expectations out the window they hit you with the tweezer reprise and then you know when when you're just smiling uh you know at getting a first set tweezer reprise they just blast you in the face with a giant Karini jam it's awesome it's a great way to start a show it really is and uh yeah that that little surprise they haven't done that a ton this this tour where they come out with a with a song that everyone's just kind of like huh and then people start googling start figuring out and then comes like the tweez reprise it's just kind of um that surprise that you get from them walking on stage having no idea what they're going to play to something utterly familiar and super joyous that, that everybody wants. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I also just want to point out now, um, you know, for anybody who, who likes to revel in the the unjust the injustices that certain people who don't get to see certain shows are faced with, uh, SPAC in 3.0 has now gotten two tweezers and six tweezer reprises. That's wild. Yeah, How is that even because possible? Of that, That's crazy. Because of the six nineteen ten, they played it twice. Yes. Tweezer reprise, and then at this show they played it twice without a tweezer. So that's four surplus reprises. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I did that Hartford to Spack around in two thousand ten, and I remember walking away from it being like, I've gotten six tweezer reprises for one tweet or uh, four tweezer reprises for one tweezer. Just mind blowing. Right. Yeah, that's, that's I can't complain about no, that. No, not at all. Which, uh, that sentiment of what Tweezer Reprise does to you is uh, represented in our next category, the Kool-Aid Man Award, which uh, Dave has always described as the jam or the segment of music that just makes you want to run through a wall like the Kool-Aid Man did, uh, makes you want to run around like a crazed eight-year-old uh, drinking Kool-Aid in the summertime. Ben, what do we have as the Kool-Aid Man Award here for week three of uh, Fish, or excuse me, week four of Fish's Summer 2019 tour? Yeah, so uh, I think we were again in agreement here that this had to go uh, to SPAC Night 2, the plasma into We Are Come To Outlive Our Brains, back into plasma, into, into the second tweezer reprise of the run. Yeah, you know, it's a second set that's light on jams, 
deep jams that is and really kind of heavy on quirky moments that I would say kind of worked uh, while still confounding portions of the fan base. Uh, this kind of back and forth segue through two new songs and a song zero fans are ever complaining about, be it Tweezer Reprise, really kind of amped us up from a listening standpoint, provides nothing but smiles on the listen. Uh, it reminds me in some cases of the uh, Plasma and the Final Hurrah into Wingsuit from Toronto. It's so exciting regardless of the length of the jam because of how brilliantly the band utilizes their newest songs in a creative and really thoughtful segment of music. Yeah, it's um, it's always really fun when, when the band just uses segues and kind of set list quirks to just make a, a show mm-hmm. really fun. The first time that I heard this, I actually kind of thought that the segues might have been planned out. Um, the way that, I, like mm. with last New Year's Eve run, especially the hood into passing through, that sounded to me like they had maybe written that set list out before the show. And that's why it was maybe a little bit rocky. Yeah. Um, but then I listened back to it actually, um, and back to this this plasma stuff, and uh, and I think I went back on that. Like it, it all sounds pretty spontaneous to me, which which just makes it that much cooler. Yeah, it worked really well in the moment, and I remember you know, streaming it, someone like myself, I'm, I'm typically pretty conscious of kind of, all right, where are they in terms of the set? Where are they in terms of like, how long have they been jamming this? And everything was coming really quickly. And that tends to make me a little bit nervous as a listener, just because that tends to reflect kind of a lack of flow uh, from the stage. I felt like this whole segment for the second set of uh, July 3rd, I really thought flowed really well. Um, you know, I think that you obviously lose a little bit from the fact that there's not a huge jam to anchor it down um, it, in terms of a lot of people's desire for realistability. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I, I thought that this was a really strong uh, kind of experiment, uh, if you will, from the band and a little bit of a diversion of what their strengths have been this tour. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I mean... It's the thing. If you think about it in terms of like, well, it's 20 minutes, 20 minutes. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's less or a little bit more than 20 minutes. But, you know, could you put pick your 20 favorite 20 minute jam? Could you slot that in there instead? And would you maybe have enjoyed that more possibly? But you could also find a lot more 20 minute segments, including 20 minute segments of second sets from this tour that are not nearly as satisfying and don't make you want to, to run through nearly as many walls as this one does. <laughs> so um, all things told, you know, I think at that point I was probably July 3rd, maybe on the road to the beach um, sitting in traffic. And I think, you know, if I could have taken those 20 minutes in traffic and instead seen this, I, would, I definitely would have chosen that. So it's sure. pretty good. Yeah, and I mean, I, say, I said something the day after the show that I felt like the band was trying to channel 1994 through 2019, and obviously the zaniness and the kind of the, the craziness of, of a 94 Segway Fest wasn't there, but, you know, it was, it was a little bit more of like a um, kind of a mature version of a band that, that is just kind of goofy with their new material in a way that I just, I think is, uh, it's super fishy, and I liked it. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. But speaking of this, um, you know, it seems like what we're talking about here is is a segment of music that was a little bit risky and in a unique way and worked here, could have not worked. 
Well, let's get into our next segment and talk about what seemed like a good idea at the time. This is the section of music that we're talking about that, hey, maybe it sounded good uh, as the set list was being unfolded, or maybe it sounded good to the band's ears, but doesn't totally hold up at this point in time. Ben, what do we have for this segment? All right. um, So bring on the flames, but uh, here's what we've got. (laughs) Spack Night 1, the fourth quarter, Wilson, Son of a Mule, Fuck Your Face, Haley's Comet, Harry Hood. So, if you've been active on Fish Twitter in the past week and you follow us, you probably know that we took some flack for our criticism of this segment of music in real time. Uh, to be clear, you know, we were probably a bit extreme on this and we may or may not have called it unlistenable. Is that a bit much? Did you Were you able to listen to this or was it unlistenable to you then? I, I was personally able to listen to it. Okay, okay. I'm glad that your ears were working for that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with a few days to consider, I, I, I still can't get over the fact that this segment just sounded so patched together and so thoughtless in its composition. Uh, it's just kind of there in the delivery. Um, I, I feel like 30 to 40 minutes of this could have been better used personally just based on how brilliantly the the set started what what are your thoughts on this yeah no i i totally agree i i mean not to say that you know again that i would have chosen sitting in traffic for 30 minutes over being present for this um you know it's (laughs) it's fish it's good songs um i would have enjoyed it in the moment i'm sure but um but yeah it's it's you know especially coming on the heels of of such a great segment of music. Um, so this was immediately following, I think, the disease into sense and into twist, which is, you know, among the the greatest segments of music that we've heard all summer. Um, yeah. And then and then we get these songs, which are not bad songs, but but it's like, first of all, I think you have "Scent of a Mule," which has a long history of making p- people disappointed in second sets, and then you also have Haley's which has a long history of jamming in the past, but doesn't so much anymore, and it didn't on this occasion. So it's just kind of two sort of disappointing segments. Um, when you're deep in a second set, when you maybe think that there's still you know, a light or some kind of deep second set jam um, that might be coming your way. And you know, right. yeah, there's still, there's still a Fuck Your Face, which is great. There's still a Harry yeah. Hood, which no one's gonna be upset about, but you know, but it, it, I, I think it just could have been better. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I think, all right, Trey wants to sneak Son of a Mule and Fuck Your Face into the tour. That's fine. I don't totally understand why they would do it here. Um, you mm-hmm. know, Wilson goes five minutes, Haley goes seven minutes, Hood goes 14 minutes. You've got a really quality second set right there. And it, it seems sometimes that that has been the issue in terms of concluding sets over the last two tours or so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I, I mean, I think that it's just this fourth quarter thing that sometimes happens where it just feels like at a certain point in the set, Trey kind of like snaps out of, you know, of whatever trance he was in that, that led him to improvise all this great music for the first half of the set. And then is like, oh crap, there's somebody in the 17th row over there who came to hear these 12 songs tonight, I've got to play all of them right now. And, uh, right. and he just decides that, you know, that he just has some crowd-pleasing to do or, or something. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's crowd-pleasing or maybe it's just that that he really wants to play the songs before the night is over. And uh, 
But either way, I don't know. Maybe it does please some fans, but but it it's not the the most pleasing to me personally. Me either. And you know, the final note I'll I'll, I'll say about this. I mean, just I, I've been thinking a lot about this since we got into this discussion with a lot of people online, and um, I think there was a little bit of a backlash towards the idea of breaking down a set into quarters. I, I don't know the first time that I heard that. I feel like I've been seeing that kind of talked around in the fan base for for a couple of years now. But it seems to me that, and and just kind of taking the last two tours um, uh, as as kind of like an examination here. um, So last fall, this summer, Trey's alternated between having like very full command over crafting a second set from a song standpoint, from a jamming and performance standpoint, and also allowing it to devolve into something of like a recital. For me, I think you share this opinion, Ben. Um, if you don't, tell me to screw myself. Uh, part, of, part of what makes a fish show so great is when they're able to do the former. And, and I think since last fall, you know, there are some really great examples of the band crafting a full set. I would say October 19th in Hampton, October 23rd in Nashville, November 2nd and 3rd in Vegas, December 29th and 30th at MSG, as well as I would say the second set of the 31st, um, February 21st and 22nd in Mexico, as well as um, on this tour, June 12th in St. Louis, June 21st in Charlotte, the 23rd in Meriwether, 28th in Camden, that first night in Camden, and uh, this most recent Fenway run, July 5th, uh, night one. So I think it is possible. I think it has happened frequently over the past two tours. And I don't think critiquing when it hasn't happened is unfair, no showing this like desire for something unrealistic. Um, I think when we're speaking of night one in SPAC here, July 2nd, it seems like Trey wanted to play some random songs to end the second set, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if this really leads to a second set that many people are going to want to re-listen to in full. Right. Yeah. And and I don't know. I, th- I think it's, it's interesting that... Um... Fenway Night One made that list that you just read yeah. off um, because that I, like Fenway Night One set two I, like I don't think that's the best set of tour I don't I don't think it's no. even one of the best sets of tour um, and in terms of improvisation like I don't think it has anything on this spec show that we're talking about sure. on the on the disease sense portion of that show um, and yet that seven five second set really holds together as a unit. Um, yes. It's really got flow to it, and I think it just goes to show that you can put together a set with solid flow, um, but it just kind of depends on, you know, not having these segments that that feel kind of uh, frantic and, and thrown together. Yeah, I don't know what it is because, like, I was thinking about like my favorite show from fall 2013 is Night One in Worcester, and if you look at that set list, there's like. 11 or 12 songs in the second set. There's not a massive jam other than Waves and Carini. And mm-hmm. yet, similar to what you're talking about here, there's just flow to it. I, I, I feel like it's um, it's got to be this thing that the band even chases, where they're just feeling it. You know when they put the guitars down at the end of the set, um, they know that they just played this like very compact, uh, cohesive piece of music, regardless what songs they played, regardless the jams. And to me, and I think it sounds like to you as well, um, SPAC Night One 
had that and then kind of lost it for whatever reason. Right, right. Yeah, and, you know, just, I guess, to preempt anyone who who's, like, listening to this and, like, banging their fists on the table in, in rage, <laughs> I, I, I don't think... I still think it's a really good set of music, and I also really like all of those songs but um yes but i think it's just you know it's just what separates this from being a really good set um to you know what it could have been which is like an like top tier chopaganda tier 1a set right right exactly um which gets us into our next category here which uh let's kind of try to figure out where we're sitting right now in terms of how great the tour has been how we're feeling uh, if the tour were a baseball season, uh, where would we be, we be sitting at this point in time? Yeah, so I think we would be about one to two games back from making the wild card game. I would agree. And um, this was, uh, side note, this was the big uh, segment that Dave had to weigh in on because this is his favorite segment of this whole, uh, 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 of this, this style of podcasting. Um, you know, I would say like most of the tour, this last week featured some really, really brilliant moments mixed in with some tepid set listing and some shows that don't totally work 100% before we listen. Um, unlike most of the tour, however, there wasn't that one show that stands out above the fray. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because I think that the week started uh, pretty strong. Like I think that the Spack Night One, especially that disease into sense is is so good that I expected yeah. this week to to be really really good, and then and then I think it, it kind of lost a little bit of steam towards the end. We we haven't even we haven't even mentioned I don't think Fenway Night Two, um, which is which is I think where you know that's like where we had a three game series and and kind of lost at least the last game or two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Fenway Night 2 was a bit rough on these years, even though there were some good moments. Um, I've been thinking about this, and, and you and I texted a lot about this over the weekend as, as these shows were coming together. In many ways, this tour really reminds me a lot of summer 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean that in both the best and challenging ways possible, because I think there's a lot of great moments from summer 2014. Um, I think it has to be really hard, and I just want to be empathetic with the band right now, is... I think it's going to be really hard to insert as many new songs as they're working in the rotation within a single tour. I think that's one thing that we as fans just, I don't know if we forget or overlook, or it's just not something we consider. You know, they want to play all these new songs. Where do they play them? What impact does that have? Um, you know, and as you saw with Camden Night 3, when the band is playing their older material, fans respond positively. However, this doesn't really do a lot for a band that's trying to evolve going forward which fish is always trying to do so you have this weird dichotomy where it's necessary that they play all these new songs while it's also very clear that they're playing with a ton of creativity when they improvise but when they play these new songs they may deter the flow they may kind of shake things up in a way that doesn't totally feel like a classic fish show if you will um i really have to believe like 2014 these big improvisational segments are going to hold up far beyond this tour, even if the full shows won't. Um, that said, I'm a firm believer full shows matter, and it seems to be the biggest hurdle of this whole tour, at least to this point. And um, we're going into Mohegan Sun and Alpine with a sense of optimism, I would say, but it's definitely 
I think that you know the idea of segmented brilliance is is really really uh, um, a, a clear sign of where the tour has been good, but also that there's been a lot of issues throughout it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really interesting tour. I mean, I think I think your 2014 point is definitely right on. Um, at the same time, I I feel like this tour like. The band is playing really well. Like Trey yeah. sounds great this tour. Everyone sounds great, and the best moments have been really good. Um, it kind of feels like they're, you know, like they've got had a kind of a little bit of bad luck here and there. You know, one example being just the the rainstorm that kind of screwed up the second Fenway show. Sure. Um, but. But yeah, I mean, I, I also think one thing that's true of, of all these new songs, and I, to- I totally agree with everything you said, um, but I think one thing that's so great and so promising about, you know, the next stretch of Fish is that these new songs are really good and people yeah. are really receptive to them. Like, you know, so many people have been talking about About to Run and how much they like that song. And uh, and I think the Kasvat Boxed songs are, are really popular, not to mention, you know, the somewhat more recent songs like like everything's right which i think is going over really well with the fan base um but you know but i I do think that you're right that it's challenging just to squeeze it in and figure out how it exactly melds with everything that was already in the repertoire um but uh but that said i mean I, i i think because the band is is like overall sounding very good and seem happy um, I I do think that there's a huge amount of potential that the last week of the tour could be the you know even the best week of, of the entire tour to date. Sure. You know I don't think that there's anything that's that's sounding off about the band. I think it just it there's something that hasn't clicked as well as it should have in the first few weeks of the tour, and uh, and I would not at all count out the possibility that it could completely click this final week. Yeah, playing their first ever three-night stand at Alpine Valley to close things out. I could totally see it. And, you know, one thing that you said just now that I agree with in terms of um, people are liking the new songs. There's there's no the line in this. There's no, exactly. you know, like summer 2009, some of the joy songs like Stealing Time and Kill Devil Falls that seem to be played every other show that people are getting sick of. There's not really a song that when it starts – even like a drift while you're sleeping, a song that I have some issues with, like the midsection of that, and it's a very long song. That doesn't seem to affect the fan base the same way that like uh, time turns elastic did. And I think that that all, once they get a tour under their belt with these songs, I feel like it's gonna really click for them. And if they are doing like a winter tour out west that has been rumored, um, I, I just see the band being able to capitalize on these songs in a really big way. Yeah. Yeah, the, my one wish is is that they'll they'll jam out some of these new songs. I mean, I, I think there's some real potential jam vehicles um, among these songs. And totally. like, who would not love to hear like a 20 minute about to run or a 20 minute, you know, say it to me, Santos. I, I, I think they they should really take them for a ride. Like, you know, everything's right. And set yeah. your soul free and some of these other more recent songs. Yeah, that's a that's another topic for another day. But like, why like a song like "Set Your Soul Free" or "Soul Planet" last summer just immediately jammed, and mm-hmm. there's been this like self-preservation around the Ghost of the Forest and Casville Box songs, especially the Casville Box songs that were um, reportedly written based off of 
jams that the band had written for the secret set at, at Curveball. So that yeah. that whole dichotomy and debate is something that is, has been confounding to me, and I don't know if we'll ever know until they start to, to play them out. But um, it's it's totally possible that that they just have like a very strict band rule where they only jam out new songs with soul in the title. That's probably very true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> So kind of on the theme of what we've been talking about here in terms of like really great moments within shows that haven't totally hooked up for us, how many of these shows are you actually going to listen to again in full? I don't know that I'm going to be listening to many of these shows, or really any of these shows in full full. Um, I can see listening to 75% of SPAC 1 again. Um, and then maybe 40% of Spec 2, 40% of Fenway 1, and then maybe 25% of Fenway 2. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, um, you know, as noted above, as we were doing these episodes over the first few weeks of tour, you know, Bonnaroo Night 2, that's a full show re-listen for me. Charlotte, it's a full show re-listen for me. Camden Night 3, uh, it's another one I'll listen to in full. There really wasn't anything like that here within this run. Nothing I feel like a really strong urge to play back. Uh, this could obviously change. I mean, I don't know where you stood on this, Ben, but Dave and I came around hard for Maple Night after the Baker's Dozen. We did not like that in the moment. And yeah. uh, really, really found ourselves loving it in the long run. Um, yeah, it's a, the, the rare grower of a, of a fish show. Yeah, exactly. It was... Uh, it was the national album of fish shows. <laughs> um, but yeah, you add to this the weather-related issues that plagued Fenway Night 2, forced the band to play one set show on the fly. It's hard to properly judge this week, I think, in some ways, but uh, I, I don't see myself returning to it. I mean, I think SPAC 1's got a great set 1, half a set 2. Uh, SPAC 2, as we noted, some fascinating setless choices. Fenway 1's got that really great... Uh, Mercury Waiting Fuego Santos. It's just rock and roll gold. And I think that set one had some really fantastic playing within a somewhat weak set list. And, you know, Fenway Night 2, you got Set Your Soul Free in a thread, big time team thread here uh, over on this side of the, uh, of the, of the microphone. Uh, Down Disease to Simple, 46 Days, What's the Use, Split Up and Melt, all kind of mixed in with questionable song calls and a very strong desire to ripcord everything when it got great. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's such an interesting thing about that Fenway Two show. I mean, you know, I I feel like when the news came in that there was this huge storm and, and that the band was gonna uh, push back the start time and only play one set and skip the set break, you know, it was it, that was either gonna be like the best thing or the worst thing that could have happened for that show. Sure, you know, like it it could have been one of those things where it's like oh my gosh, something weird's happening and the band is just going to use it as fuel and, and it's going to be, it's going to completely power the whole show. One one show that c- came to my mind when I was thinking about that was uh, 71098. It's hmm. the, I think it's the last show of the 98 tour and they have all, all these technical issues and, you know, they're, they're getting really, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. They're getting super frustrated and then finally they just leave the stage and then they come back and, and they play a, a really good set too um and uh but i kind of think it it went the opposite way where it was just it sort of 
threw them off a little bit and like having to, you know, they're, they're so good. They've been playing these two set shows where each set is like between 70 and, and 90 minutes mm. for years and years and years. And they've got the flow to those down and having to figure out how to how to uh, make a two and a half hour set flow is seemed to be a real challenge for them. Yeah, I think we're really fortunate in the fact that Fish is a two set show band. Um, mm-hmm. I think it works really well with how they kind of think creatively, and I think it works really well in terms of you know the the, the fact that every show has a reset button essentially. You know, I mean, how many shows have you been to where set one just doesn't do it for you at all, and the band comes out for set two and throws down, and you know, vice versa, where you have a set one that has a ton of energy and they come out for set two and it just kind of is a mixed reaction and nothing really lands. Um, right. It's it's just such an interesting thing for the band to come out and say everything's coming out here in one fell swoop. And I think that made them probably really time conscious, which led to right. a lot of these jams kind of filtering out. And who knows, like perhaps exhausted. I, I don't know. I have no idea what it must yeah. be like for them to switch up their artistic approach that quickly. Yeah, it's totally possible as as our friend RJ was was saying. They might have just had to pee the whole time. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, two hours and 45 minutes on a stage like that, it's uh, with the pressure of continuing to play. It's it's a lot. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tiring. So let's end this whole thing on a positive note here. Um, I think you and I have both emphasized things that we loved about this last week while also expressing a bit of criticism and kind of, you know, thoughts about things that we didn't necessarily find that appealing but there was something from this week that it really sums up why we do what we do and that is comment listen to discuss chatter about podcast about write about fish what was the this is why we do this award from this past week i think it will probably be no surprise to the um avid listener that uh that we chose the SPAC night one down with disease sense and subtle sounds twist segment that started set two or, or it didn't start set two did it it wasn't it was uh cool amber and mercury to open wasn't it cool amber and mercury opened up short version that went right into down with disease sense and twist um how do you feel about this? I, I will defend Down with Disease in a set two opening-ish slot to the death. Are, are you yeah. on that side or are you against it? Totally. I, I feel like um, the divide here is people who are seeing the band in 1994 and 95 when they were playing it constantly and people who weren't and neither of us were seeing them back then. So, no. yeah, I think Disease is, is always still, Disease second set opener is still always a treat. Yeah, and that's how I feel. And it, even though it's super predictable, I mean, there have been shows where the band walks off the stage. I know they haven't played Down with Disease in five nights, and I know without question I'm getting a disease opener, and lo and behold. But I just love it. Um, it's old, reliable at this point in time, and it 95% of the time leads to something fantastic. Um, then you get Sense and Subtle Sounds with the intro. Uh, I think it's one of the best things in the Fish catalog, and when they jam it, similar to uh, this show, August 12th, 2015, uh, July 30th, 2003, July 23rd, 2003. It really ends up just resulting in one of the most creative kinds of jams a band can play live. 
And this whole 35 minute segment, down disease, sense, twist. I mean, this is why I see fish. And, you know, at the time, part of the reason why this is on here, I thought we were headed for an all-timer of a second set. You go into twist and that's usually a song that can kind of groove and reset and either keep jamming or put the band in position to kind of close out the set on a really strong note. Um, but I love this whole segment of music and I'll listen to it over and over again. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really phenomenal. And it's it was surprising. I was listening to it in real time. I was streaming it and um, and like... I think with sense you were expecting that okay you know that's going to be like eight or nine minutes uh, sure. the fact that after that big down with disease jam um that they that they then jammed sense as long and as well as they did was just was just such an amazing surprise um yeah and i don't know it i also I'm, i i was so happy to hear it with the intro mm -hmm. i I'll, I'll take a minute to uh to plug your your Twitter account, which I'm sure everybody knows, but Suffering Juke. Um, so for anybody who wasn't on Twitter, uh, who, or who hasn't been on Twitter, I guess the last couple days when this comes out, um, Brian is is recapping summer of 2003, and that like this sense intro, it, it always brings me right back to the summer yep. of 2003 when they were playing it with the intro every time, and the song was brand new, and it was just. It was just such an amazing, an amazing song, an amazing jam vehicle that summer, and it was just so cool to see it with the intro and with a big jam this time out. Um, so I'll take 20 more of those, please. Yeah, I mean this this down with disease and descent reminds me a lot of um, that that segment of the August 12, 2015 set to at the Man, um, one of my favorite sets of all of 3.0, um, and. You know, I, I, yeah, I'll listen to this stuff over and over again. I, I don't know. I think this is slightly contradictory, but I think it's also just interesting in terms of what we've been talking about with regards to this tour. I don't know if I would rank it as um, uh, the best jam of the tour by any means. I, I really love the Bonnaroo twist. I really love um, the uh, Birds of a Feather from Cuyahoga Falls. Mm -hmm. uh, I really loved the Fuego into Cities into the Final Hurrah from Bangor, Maine, 20 years later from Camden. Um, I think that there were better segments of music, but you know, for this week, I think that it hit a high and, and a really thematic you know, moment in the, uh, in the overall set that, that I'll continue to listen back to. Yeah, totally agree. It's, um, I don't know. It's 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 not like uh, transcendent. It's not the most creative jamming that they've that they've done all summer. I don't think. Right. Um, but you know, it's just really satisfying. It's the band sounds really confident. Uh, Trey spent so much of I guess both of these jams, but but definitely the sense jam with that that kind of uh, I don't know what it's what it's called, but that sort of echo pedal that um you know it, it sort of plays the note that he's just played it kind of doubles it up yes uh, and he's he's just doing such good things with that pedal and some of some of his other effects and uh and you know the band just sounds absolutely as tight as can be um and it's it's great jamming yeah he's really reined in his um his effects on this tour coming off of just a, a challenging summer tour last year with uh, mm -hmm. trying to get used to the Leslie. Um, 
So what do you think? Should we listen to a bit of this segment of music? I think we should. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead. We're going to listen to a little bit of the uh, SPAC July 2nd Down Disease Sense twist segment. I think we're going to focus most of this on the Sense and Subtle Sounds and hope that you guys enjoy it.
already know that Sirius XM brings you the deepest variety of commercial free music for every genre and for every mood. Where you hear the biggest names in talk, entertainment, and comedy in hundreds of hand-curated music channels designed to fit every mood. Where you get news from every source. Where you can listen to the newly launched Fish Radio, in addition to Jam On, Grateful Dead Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, Tom Petty Radio, and many more. Where you can listen to top comedy channels such as Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Radio, and Netflix is a Joke Radio, and Sports Talk Radio from Barstool to ESPN, and more to keep you up to date on the latest news in the sports world. Most people think that you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. Subscribe now to listen outside the car, on your phone, online, and at home, and get your first three months for just a dollar. Visit SiriusXM.com slash BTP to see offer details and to subscribe. Start listening today. SiriusXM, no car required. segment of music from SPAC night one particularly that sense and subtle sounds just a fantastic jam from the last week of the tour so we're going to jump into here with new album recommendations um so my new album that i'm going to be focusing on is a record that came out on the friday of the camden run and i listened to it at set break and similar to the sun watchers record that i listened to uh, set break of the Friday night uh, Mexico show. This just kind of defined that whole weekend for me and was a record I couldn't stop listening to and still haven't been able to now almost two weeks later. And that's Dire Wolves Grow Towards the Light. And I'm going to play the opener, I Control the Weather, which is just such a fantastic way to open this record. So this is the fourth album. Uh, from the Jeffrey Alexander-led band. It's their first since their vocalist uh, now left the group. And Georgia Carbone takes over on vocals for this record, singing an invented language, if you will. This record was recorded in two days in Oakland, California. Um, Much like uh, Jeffrey Alexander's former group uh, that he was in, uh, Jackie O. Motherfucker, just like some very weird, bizarre takes on modern rock and roll in this. It seems him further tapping into higher dimensions of what he calls cosmic free rock. And of note, Jeffrey Alexander followed the dead throughout much of the 1980s. And you can just hear that everywhere on this record. Um, I think it's part of the reason why I'm personally loving this album so much. Uh, In my own recent dead listening habits, I keep alternating back and forth between 1974 and 1985. Uh, The former is this like kind of peak experimentation in the 72 to 74 sound while featuring a touch more slop and bigger jams in the previous two years. Um, And the latter feels like something that was achieved for the band, even if Jerry's health wasn't the best and they were about to go through another rough patch before rising again in the late 80s. Um, I hear so much of these two sounds in this record, and I just simply can't get enough. It's it's an album I still haven't totally figured out because 
The song formations, the song structures are quite different than what I'm kind of used to hearing, even though I love this type of experimentation. Um, of note as well, this is a beyond, beyond is beyond record that fits in the larger model of things we absolutely love from that label. Uh, if you haven't listened to episode 57, titled Beyond, Beyond is Beyond the Pond, we'd encourage you to check it out. There's great stuff from the, from the label. Um, Mike and Dom are fantastic guests on the episode, share some fantastic insights about some of our favorite bands that are playing uh, within their label and uh, some of the music that we absolutely love from them. And this record is uh, right in line with all that. So let's go ahead and listen to I Control the Weather, the opening track off of Dire Wolves, Grow Towards the Light. Control the Weather from the Dire Wolves album Grow Towards the Light. Uh, and for my new album recommendation, I am going with a group called Megabog. Uh, and their new album is called Dolphin. It's like dolphin with an E at the end. Um, so this is the fifth album from Megabog, uh, which is a project from someone named Erin Burgi. Um, she is backed here by artists like Meg Duffy of the band Hand Habits as well as James Krivchenia of Big Thief, uh, both of whom have also put out their own great, great albums this year with their main bands. So I've only been listening to this Megabog album for the last week or so and have actually never heard any of her previous albums. Um, so apparently, from what I've heard, this is the best of the albums that she's made, uh, and I can totally believe it because it's it's really amazing. It's... Uh, it, it's an album with incredible orchestration. The instrumentation is is so well done, so well written, and so well uh, uh, orchestrated, and so well uh, produced and executed. Um, so Megabog apparently was inspired by the novels of Ursula Le Guin for this album, as well as uh, the death of her childhood horse and her two abortions, uh, which is... Uh, I don't know, an interesting, really interesting combination of inspirations for an album. Uh, the meaning of the album, the, the title Dolphin is apparently drawn from the idea that when sea creatures moved to the land and became humans, some chose to stay in the sea and explore the dark darkness as dolphins or so the mythology goes. And I would say that that is pretty close to describing how the album sounds. Um, this is, uh, I would say, a thrilling and sometimes challenging listen. It's very dreamlike. 
it sounds like some kind of old school folk, like uh, like seventies sort of folk with some jazz influence into influences, some free jazz, uh, and some kind of psychedelic freakouts. Um, but you know, it's very lyrical, very melodic. And as I said before, it's extremely well orchestrated. Um, I haven't personally listened to a whole lot of late era Joni Mitchell, but just based on what I've read about it, uh, this is a little bit how, how I imagine late era Joni Mitchell to sound. So if you like Joni Mitchell, then if my imaginations of what that sounds like are accurate, then you might like this. Um, but I would recommend checking it out in any case because it's, it's a really interesting and, and, uh, and, you know, if your ears are right for it, very satisfying album. Um, so the song that we're going to play here is called Diary of a Rose. And Rose is actually the name of uh, her childhood horse that I mentioned earlier that, that she was mourning the death of. Um, so this is Diary of a Rose by Megabog from the album Dolphine. Diary of a Rose off of is it Dolphin? Dolphin, I think so. All right. That is definitely a record I'm going to have to dip into here this week. Um, so part two, what are we listening to right now? So this segment, as we've noted here, uh, doesn't have to be a record that came out this year or last year or 10 years ago or 40 years ago. It could be kind of anything. Um, just what is in our rotation at this point in time? And for me, I cannot believe it taken 71 episodes for me to talk about this album. I have to believe I've talked about it in the past, but I double-checked and I have not. And that's Woods' Songs of Shame from 2009. Uh, and I'm going to play the song Military Madness. So the New York Quartet's fourth album came out in April 2009. 
No other way to put it. This was a formative, incredibly important record for me. One of the most important records I've heard in the last 10 years. So back in 2009, I was living in South Korea and I spent an inordinate amount of time on fantasy tour. Perhaps it was the fact that fish had just gotten back together and I was super jealous of everyone catching them across America. Perhaps it was the high speed internet. I may have just been missing America in general. I don't know what it was, but I was there a lot. And despite what you might think, rightly or wrongly, about that site, it actually served a lot of good for me at the time, specifically when it came to expanding my overall musical education. Uh, there were two users in particular that I want to give huge shout outs to. And if anybody knows these guys or if they're listening to this, it would be the hugest thrill of my life to know that uh, they, they, they're, they're hearing about this because uh, they helped me just learn so much music. Uh, a guy named Logic Error and another guy named Sean Carter who would start these like 500 plus post threads of just obscure, crazy and wild underground music. I devoured these threads. I'd spend like an entire night just going through, clicking the green text, downloading records and an external hard drive at hand, high speed internet. I downloaded everything that they posted. I just listened to whatever it may have been. Um, one of the earliest records I downloaded from them was this album, Wood Songs of Shame. And it just blew me away. It was like a fusion of Neil Young, Bob Dylan, The Dead, Pavement, Silver Jews, so much more. Uh, I think I listened to this daily during the fall of 2009. It cracked my world in the immediate and uh, helped me to push forth into so much other music. What's crazy, though, is going forward, Woods would basically go on to release an album a year for the next five years, each getting tighter and tighter and offering more fullness to their overall sound. Um this record, however, is super special just in the sense of it. Uh, it sounds true to the band's name. It's a very woodsy kind of uh, um, abandoned cabin type of record. And further proof that it was for me was the nine-minute jam in September with Pete. It was also one of the first moments I realized non-jam bands could actually jam. Um, the song that I'm going to play, Graham Nash's Military Madness, is one of my favorite anti-war songs of all time. And uh, more than anything, I would say just about this record to kind of sum it up really quickly. Basically, everything I've listened to and recommended on this uh, uh, podcast can in some ways be directed back to this record. It was such a huge formative album to me. Uh, I've been returning to it a ton here in recent months as my obsessions with early 70s and mid 70s Dylan has just kind of uh, grown and grown and grown. Um, so we're going to listen to Wood's Songs of Shame, the song Military Madness right now.
was Military Madness by Woods off of the album Songs of Shame. Um, so for me, the album that I have been listening to a bunch recently is this album that came out last year by a group called Drinks. The album is called Hippo Light. Uh, so Drinks is a duo. Uh, it's a side project of two artists by the name of Kate Laban and Tim Presley. Now, you may know uh, Tim Presley from a group called White Fence. He's kind of uh, allies with Ty Siegel and, and runs in that same that same crowd. And uh, Kate LeBon, of course, has her uh, her own solo projects, which I could not possibly recommend more highly. And I actually just saw her a couple nights ago and would very, very strongly recommend that anybody who's in the, the Northwest um, catch her for the tail end of, of this tour that she's on right now. She's sounding amazing. Um, but in Drinks, you've got Kate LeBon and Tim Presley sounding a little bit different than they do in their solo projects. So Hippolyte is the second album that they've made together. Um, as I mentioned, this came this one came out uh, in 2018. I might be the world's biggest Kate LeBon fan, uh, but Drinks' first album actually didn't really click with me that much. So Kate LeBon, if you haven't heard her music, her solo music sounds uh, maybe a little bit uh, in, the, in a similar vein to like someone like David Bowie or maybe even someone like Sid Barrett. She has an incredible ability to sound both simultaneously weird and gorgeous. And that first Drinks album, I think, was a little bit too heavy on the weird. And when I first listened to Hippo Light, the, the newer Drinks album last year when it came out, it seemed to be the same as the first album. Uh, and then I returned to it, I think, in, in late 2018, early 2019, and realized that how, just how much beauty there is on it and also how great the weird stuff is. Um, so this is an album that Kate LeBon and Tim Presley made together, I think, all alone in a commune in France uh, with no Wi-Fi or, or any kind of uh, external influences. And from what I can tell, uh, they're playing all the, I think most of the instruments themselves, it sounds as if they're playing violin on several tracks, even though they're definitely not violinists. I actually played violin growing up and can say with some confidence that they did not. Um, but they somehow make it sound really great. There's just violin on a few tracks, um, but the other songs, whether they're playing guitars, which they're both really excellent at, um, or basses or some some uh, some keyboards, it all sounds kind of a, a little bit, um, you know, almost like demos, but uh, but just like really well made demos. It reminds me a little bit, in a way, of uh, Trey's album One Man's Trash, in that like you can just really feel the intimacy of where they were making this album, and uh, and and there's just a lot of warmth to it. In terms of the sound of the album. Uh, the album is sort of composed of two different sounds. It's half songs that almost sound like lullabies that they were written on really good acid. And then the other half of the songs kind of sound almost like Talking Heads outtakes played in the wrong key, also on really good acid. Uh, and then there's some kind of weird instrumental sketches grown, thrown in there. Like I said, some of it is is weird and it's quite possible that half of the songs are not going to do anything for you, but then the other half of the songs will be your favorite songs that you hear all year. Uh, I just find the, the, you know, kind of, uh, lullaby ish songs to be just, just heart wrenchingly beautiful. And then the talking heads ish songs to be so weird and quirky and fun. Uh, and I just love this album and I 
I just listen to it more and more as time goes on. Um, so this for, this song that we're going to play here is one of the uh, the quieter, uh, more lullabyish songs. Uh, this one is called Greasing Up, and this is by Drinks off of the album Hippo Light. If I decide to come back to life, come back to life. If I decide to be white, I motion my cousins on sight. If I decline, I'm greasing up. We are leaving. I'm greasing up. We are. Just to recap here, we just played four songs for you all. Uh, we started out with new album recommendations, and we played I Control the Weather by Dire Wolves off of their album Grow Towards the Light. We followed that with Diary of a Rose by Megabog from Dolphine. And then in our What Are We Listening to, to Right Now segment, we played Military Madness by Woods off of Songs of Shame. And then uh, closed it out there with Greasing Up by Drinks off of the album Hippo Light. And just a quick reminder of where you can find us uh, in between episodes. So on Twitter, we are very much hidden in plain sight at underscore beyond the pond. We have a Simplecast website, beyondthepond.simplecast.fm. You can stream all of our episodes from there. Spotify, uh, in, in addition to having our episodes be live on Spotify, we have the massive Beyond the Pond podcast songs playlist on Spotify. All the music that we play, or at least most of it, none of the Brian, Dave, or Ben. Uh, you can find us as well as all of our sister podcasts that we love over at the OsirisPod.com. Uh, it's OsirisPod.com. As well as we'd ask you all who are listening, if you've made it this far, please go ahead Leave us an iTunes review. We appreciate it. We read it. Helps us out in Tim Cook land. And a quick note from a publishing standpoint. So once again, we are publishing here on a Wednesday in the middle of summer tour. We'll have three or four more shows after this episode goes live. Uh, we will be getting back to normal after we cover the Mohegan Sun and Alpine Valley runs with some great episodes we have lined up here for the summer. Uh, most of the time you can find us every other Tuesday because Tuesdays have no feel, but obviously we had to adapt a little bit here in summer tour. And before we go, I want to thank our guest co-host 
friend of the pod. Uh, this was fantastic, Ben. Thank you so much for stepping up, hanging out here while Dave was away uh, with family. Uh, I greatly enjoyed hosting this with you. And um, you have some pretty decent fish opinions, I should say. Well, that's very nice of you to say. And thank you so much for having me. I um, I love listening to the podcast and I'm, you know, I'm sad that um, that all of this stuff that's going to be in this episode of it is stuff that I will have now heard already um, by virtue of being a part of it. Um, I love listening to Dave and I'm excited to have him back, but, um, but it was great to, to be here when he couldn't be this week. So thanks for having me. I don't think that this is the last time that we will have Jan. Uh, actually, I, I know that this won't be because uh, definitely one of our favorite guests to have on. And uh, this was super cool for us. You were the first person we thought about when we knew that we were going to need a, uh, a stand in here. So thank you so much. This was fantastic. And um, anyone out there listening, um, you know, uh, Dave should be back here within a week. Um, uh, his family are definitely in our thoughts right now as uh we are moving into the final week here of summer tour. So on that note, I will bid you all farewell. Uh, come back here in one week. We will hold hands. We'll sit around the fire and sing Kumbaya, as long as it's not a fourth quarter Kumbaya. And we will go beyond the pond. Osiris.